Amen, amen, amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we declare that to be true, that it is nothing but the blood of Jesus that gives us hope, that gives us peace, that gives us freedom, that gives us forgiveness, that gives us life. It is nothing that we can do, it is nothing that we can earn, it is not based on our righteousness, it is not based on our actions or behavior, it is your will and your will alone lived out in the sacrifice of Jesus for us that gives us life. We thank you, God. We thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to come and live and die for us. That you were raised to new life again. That we can be forgiven and free. And so, God, as we turn to your word this morning, we pray that you would help us to see and understand this truth, this reality, a little more deeply, God. That we can live in this freedom a little more fully. That we can share this love with the people around us a little more freely. God, we ask that you would speak and move in this time, that we would hear from you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us to that place this morning. What powerful words for us to be able to sing together. You guys sounded amazing this morning. It was wonderful to be able to worship together in that way. Uh, But as we begin this morning, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be moving forward from there uh, over the next couple of weeks as well, but we're going to be kind of finishing this up this week. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 24 at the end of this, and we'll have it on the screen for you as well if you, if you need, but Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says this to us, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Are we amazed by the words of Jesus? What are we doing with the words of Jesus? Do we know about them or are we living them? Have you heard about Him or are you really listening to Him? Are you building your house on the sand or is it built upon the rock? Because the storms will come and Jesus wants you to be ready. He has taught us how to be ready and He wants us to follow Him. God is good and His Word is alive and He's inviting us to live with the power of the Word alive in us. Amen? Amen. This morning we're continuing our journey that we've been walking through in this series, the Red Letter Words looking at the teachings of Jesus, the things that he told us about himself, about his kingdom, 
about what it means for us, about what He wants us to do with it. This year we've been exploring the power and the beauty of Scripture, of the Word, seeking to submit ourselves to the truth that God has given to us, to center our lives around His Word, around His teachings, to be filled with a hunger for understanding of what He has given us. The Bible tells us that God's Word is is living and active. That it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That it cuts right to our very soul. That all Scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. The Apostle Peter tells us in his second letter that he did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But were eyewitnesses to His majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory saying, This is My Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with Him on the sacred mountain. The Word is the witness and the testimony of God and His people of the hope of the Gospel and the message of salvation. It is the revelation of God's nature and purpose to us that we can know and understand our Creator and what He has created. And we can know hope and life, restoration and worth and find rest and peace for our souls. The Word is good, and it is power. And in Jesus, the Word is made complete. So we've been trying to understand, trying to hear, trying to listen to what God has told us. And we looked at the different parts and pieces of the Word, the different ways that God has spoken to us, and then the coming of the revelation of Jesus, the living Word given to us. And now we want to see what Jesus Himself has taught us. The words that He Himself spoke to us, fully God and fully man, understanding our lives and our journey completely. Our struggles and our fears, our temptations and our hardships. What did He see? What did He say? How did he understand our lives and what he is telling us to do? And so we're walking through the Gospel of Matthew. And we challenged you at the beginning, if you had the chance, if you haven't yet, to read through the whole Gospel of Matthew yourself. That as we're studying through these teachings, you will be a little more familiar with the context of where they are in the whole story of Jesus. So I encourage you to take that time, if you haven't had a chance, read through that whole Gospel. And if you can, in one sitting. It takes a couple hours. Maybe you need to break it up a couple times, but to try to just get that broad stroke picture of the whole piece of what he's doing. But we're starting here over these last few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus kind of laid out the whole picture right at the beginning of his ministry. He had just started. And there right from the outset, he told them everything. And then he builds on that in different ways through the rest of the gospel. But he started in chapter 5 kind of Telling them that the things that they had been taught were were broken. That God's calling on our lives is far greater and deeper 
and barely trying to be good enough. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you, he said. And it wasn't about just trying a little bit harder. He wants perfection. Not just because God is holy. Of course it's because God is holy. But also because that kind of life, that kind of behavior that Jesus describes to us is better for us. Living according to God's holy nature and will is better. It means a better life for us if we'll obey, if we'll pursue His righteousness, His standard to be perfect as His heavenly Father is perfect. It's better for us. And then he told us that the way that we worship is broken. That the ways that we try to approach God, to please God, to connect with God are lost in the sea of our sin and our selfishness. That even our efforts to do good are focused on ourselves. On what others think of us. And if we can let go and just focus on Him, we'll find freedom and wholeness as He desires us to know. Free from worry. And walking in full confidence of the love and care and provision of God, knowing as we are known and at peace in Him. It's a beautiful thing that Jesus is describing for us here. But He's not done. In chapter 5, He told us how to live. In chapter 6, He told us how to worship. And this week in chapter 7, Jesus tells us how to follow. What does it mean? What does it look like? To follow Him. This is the third part of this sermon as we teased last week that this is the perfect pastor in the first three-point sermon right here. Where Jesus has laid out this pattern of the kingdom. Of this new kingdom. Rooted in relationship. Deeper than religion. Fully alive in our Creator and Savior. And now He's inviting us to know what it means to follow Him. To walk this path that He's described to us. And to find this new life that He's been talking about. And once again, as he has in these other chapters, he describes it in, in different ways throughout the chapter, coming at it from different directions. But the message, again, is the same. This is how you follow me. This is what it looks like. And he begins, once again, as he has each time, with adjusting our eyes from selfishness to sacrifice. Starting at the beginning of this chapter, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1, he says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We want to make following Jesus as we have with all these other pieces. We want to make following Jesus about everyone else. We want to fix 
everyone else. We want to feel okay about ourselves because we see things that are not okay about someone else. And Jesus calls that out first in following Him. If you want to follow me before anything else, if you want to do these things I'm telling you to do, you have to actually see yourself. See the sin that is in you first. Don't worry about them. That's my job, he says. You worry about you, what I'm showing you in your heart. The sin I see in you, maybe that we even struggle to see in ourselves sometimes. Though probably not. We pretend not to see our own sin. We excuse it and we hide from it. But sometimes we really don't see it. We need that community around us to help us. And the beginning of this journey with Jesus and following Him starts with being honest with Him and with ourselves, being open with Him and dealing with our own things before we worry about other people. And we do need to worry about others. We walk in discipleship and accountability community together. But it's far too easy for us to point out issues in someone else and ignore them in ourselves. Do we know people like that? Maybe we've been that person. Maybe we are. And the really dangerous thing within that is that we can keep doing that. Keep focusing on the sins of others. Their bad sins. The ones that are way worse than mine. And we can play that game all the way through our journey with Jesus. Never really growing. Just becoming more and more judgmental and self-righteous. Thinking we're becoming better disciples. Because we've become more and more indignant with the behavior of others. I'm such a good disciple because I'm so righteously angry about their sin. How many times have we seen that even in like big celebrity pastors and stuff pounding the pulpit harder and harder about this particular sin or that particular sin when they're hiding these huge and horrible abuses and things in their own life and they get found out and their ministry falls apart. This is why Jesus starts here. Because when we come to faith, we can get very excited and passionate about righteous behavior. And to a certain extent, that's good. When the Spirit opens our eyes, the light is very bright at first. We see things more clearly and we should want to live rightly. And we should want that for others as well. Because we see, maybe for the first time, that it's better. And we hunger for that. But when policing others becomes how we follow Jesus, we can get lost there. We can get stuck there. Always pointing the finger but not humbling ourselves. That's not growth. That's not following Jesus. And that's why he starts here. And trying to tell us about following Him, He says, you follow me. Don't worry about them. You listen to me. 
But it is just the beginning because if we will step into humility and submission, there is life beyond measure because look at what Jesus promises us if we will follow Him, if we will let Him do this work in our lives, if we will receive His forgiveness and correction. When our eyes are opened by the Spirit and we begin to want to live in this new life and kingdom He's inviting us into, this is what it's like. Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks will find. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened to them. It's all there. The things that Jesus has promised are real if we will believe, if we will follow, if we will trust Him. He will give us what we're asking for, the life, the relationship that we're longing for. God will provide. He's called you to this journey, to this path to follow Him, to trust Him, and He will be faithful. Jesus sees And He knows our hearts. He knows our fears. He's trying to tell us that there is freedom through this open door. The provision and care of an infinite and eternal loving Father is waiting for you if you'll just ask. If you will seek. If you will knock. If you will follow. tells us these things. He gives us these promises, this encouragement. Because he also knows that the road he's inviting us to follow him on will sometimes feel very lonely. And that journey where it will be hard. He's promised us these incredible blessings that God will provide, that he will care for us, that he is enough. Because he knows it's going to be a challenge. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few will find it. His way is narrow. It doesn't go wherever we want. It's not easy. It's not popular, but it leads to life. And we see that destruction all around us, and we've experienced it in our own lives, the consequences of our own sin, of giving in to our own selfishness, of those times when we have slipped onto the broad road, the easy way, the way that is all about me and what I want, the way that just goes with the crowd to try to make others happy. To not cause problems or to make someone uncomfortable. To try to impress people or keep up with what others are doing. We see the hurt there. We've experienced the hurt. Broken relationships. Greed and selfishness. Broken dreams. Addiction, fear, people just using each other, throwing them away. It's not life. 
It's not relationship. It's, it's abusive and destructive. We don't have to be living that way. Jesus is telling us about this path. It's narrow. It can be rough. It can seem hard to find, but He does promise He will lead us on it. But we have to listen. We have to know His voice, know His teachings. And we have to trust Him. Verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. And we see that in so many places. Is someone preaching hate or love? Grace or judgment? Division or salvation? And we can again point to televangelists or celebrity pastors that preach crazy nonsense, but it can happen anywhere. Who are you listening to? What are you listening to? And are you first rooted in the Word, spending time yourself with Jesus? Do you know His voice, that voice of the Good Shepherd? Do you know His message? Do you know His heart that when you hear someone speak, you can discern His voice? Or do we just want to hear what we want to hear? Things that make us feel good or make us feel righteous, or make us feel angry, or make us feel powerful. Watch out. Listen carefully. Listen to Jesus, the living Word. We discern together. Listen to one another. We walk together. The Spirit speaks to us together, and it's harder to wander when we hold together. Because we have to follow close because we can wander away. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons. And in your name, perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This passage used to give me great anxiety. What Jesus is saying here is pretty terrifying. Can we lose our salvation? Can we do these great works and still be found wanting? How many demons have you driven out? How many miracles have I performed? If that's not enough, what is? But God does not invite us into a life of fear, a relationship of fear, into feeling constantly unworthy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and self-control and love. 
Hebrews chapter 4, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus didn't want his followers to walk in fear. He is not telling us here that we have to wonder if we are okay, if we're saved. 1 John chapter 3, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. We are called God's own children, co-heirs with Christ in the kingdom of God. Jesus said it is finished and he meant it, but he sees this danger for us as well. And we can fall prey to our own efforts, our own struggle to be good enough that we can try to earn this salvation and never truly humble ourselves and submit to him. It's not our outward actions. Grand displays of spirituality. Even casting out demons or performing miracles as he said here. Those things aren't our salvation. It is grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone that is our hope. Humbly and fully submitting to Him, receiving His grace and walking in step with His Spirit by His Word. We can know that we are saved. We don't have to wonder. Romans chapter 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans chapter 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. These are promises. Guarantees of our salvation. But they are not found in what we can do. They are only real in what Jesus has done. And so it's not about performing our righteousness at Jesus or for others. It's about receiving His grace and walking in faith with Him, following Him. Just as He says, therefore, once again, if it's therefore, we have to ask what it's there for. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it held its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. After all of this, at the end of this huge sermon that he preached on this mountainside before all these people, after teaching us about his kingdom, after teaching us how to live, how to worship, and now how to follow, he simply says, just do what I told you to do. 
It's all right there. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We try to make following Jesus so complicated sometimes. And in a sense, it can be. God is infinite and eternal and we are finite and small. Our worries are immediate. Our lives can be very hard. It can feel so hard to follow, to know what to do. But more often than not, and maybe really almost all the time, the reason we feel it's so complicated is not that Jesus hasn't spoken clearly. It's that we know what He said. We just don't want to do it. Because it means surrendering our will. It means surrendering our lives, our possessions, our goals and our dreams, our priorities. It means giving it all up to humble ourselves and follow. To trust Him to provide, to be enough instead of trying to make enough on our own. We don't like to do that. It's hard to trust Him with that, to trust Him with our lives. With our family, do you trust Him with what you really care about? Is He faithful to care for the things we love most? Or do we need to control it on His behalf? Do we need to do it for Him? Because it's not just our selfishness and pride, though that is a huge problem, but those storms do come too. We see real suffering. We know real hurt. And we don't don't see God fixing everything the way we want Him to. The way we think He should. He should fix my problems. He should make my life easy. He should make the people around me act the way I think they should. He should fix my family. He should fix my friends. He should fix... My workplace, he should fix the government. He should fix it all. He should make it look like I think it should. But Jesus doesn't say he's going to take away the storm. He just says he'll be the rock in the middle of it. Unmoving. Unbreakable. Unshakable. Eternal. And He's inviting you to stand, to live, to build your life on Him and be safe within the storm, within the wind, within the waves, to build your life on Him, to know Him, to trust Him, to follow, to hear His words, to know His voice, to see this truth. And walk this road like He's told you to do. And you will be safe. You will be saved. What an amazing promise. If we will believe Him, our behavior is broken, our worship is broken, our life is broken. So this is what I want you to do. Hear my words and just put them into practice. 
Over the next number of weeks, we're going to be moving forward, exploring more of the teachings of Jesus, the different things that He said throughout the Gospel of Matthew. But this is where it all begins. He's laid it all out. I have told you what you must do, He says. He's just asking us this question. Will you trust me? Can we trust Him? Let's pray together. Father God, we believe that Your Word is true. We declare that Your Word is true. We receive these things that Jesus has said to us. We thank You for your word, for what he has spoken. And Father, we pray that humility. We pray that submission. We pray that your spirit would do that work in our heart that would let us lay down this control. That we would follow. That we wouldn't try to take over. That we wouldn't try to get ahead. That we wouldn't try to do things for you. That we would trust you to work. That we would trust that you are enough. That we would live in step with what Jesus has told us. That we would hear these words of his and put them into practice. But Father God, we know that we can't do that on our own. We know that we can't live this way on our own. And we thank you for the gift of your spirit. We thank you for the work that you are doing in our hearts when we receive your gift of grace, when we receive the Holy Spirit. So Father, we pray that forgiveness. When we are trying to follow you for all those places we have tried to grab back, that we have not trusted you. We pray, God, that you would help us to see and that as we walk together, God, we would be removing the planks from our own eyes, but God, that we would try to remove the specks from one another's eyes too. That together we would grow closer and deeper in discipleship, walking together on this narrow road, led by you, empowered by your Spirit, following your word. That we can be a light to others as well. That they would see what this life looks like, that it is better. That life with you is better. God, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you are gracious. We pray that you would speak to us and move us, God, to bring this truth into the world around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.